She's just a girl and she's on fire Hotter than a fantasy Welcome into the first episode of the Soccer Sunday Mom podcast. So excited to be here. Jennifer Cease, one of your one of the voices you'll be hearing today to talk a little bit about soccer, but with other perspectives, because there's more than just one. There's a lot of people who play and some of us did play, no matter how old we are, on the other side of the gender <laughs> fence. Uh, here with JV Anderson, who you would know from the Soccer Dad Pod. Hello, Jen. How are you? Good. How are you? This is going to be fun, isn't it? A little talking more soccer. You like I feel it? like, yeah, absolutely. Talk more soccer, more soccer. Do, do you talk about anything other than soccer in your house? Chores and the lack of them being done. Do you yes. do you make <laughs> sure to not talk about referees and uh, blown calls? Oh, no, we definitely talk about referees and blown calls. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, my 12-year-old right now is like, you know, going through referee training for CYC and had to take the test. And, and I had to warn my husband, you can't cheat for him. Like, oh he has God. to answer those questions himself. Was he stressed out? Like, is it one of those things, you know, is uh, uh, the, the, the kid that plays and the parent that played? And that ride home where there's that anxiety? I think a little bit. He enjoys it. We did tease him because last year he took the test also to, you know, you have to do it no matter what level you're at to take the test. And yeah. He got one wrong. <laughs> We've well, never let George forget it. Well, you know, this is, uh, I'm really looking forward to this because we we met uh, a couple months back, um, you know, over on the other side of the uh, dad mom soccer fence. On the Soccer Dad Pod side, had you on as a guest. It was a lot of fun. Um, we had cold beers down at Urban Chestnut. It was delicious. And um, <clears throat> you kind of laid it out there. And um, I, I was really stoked because on, you know, with our show, uh, you you know the guests. You know a lot of the guests that we've had. For you know, sure. Kind of the vibe that it goes. A lot of it is, um, you know, we... we, we navigate through time with the legacy guys and stories and things like that. And there's a huge gap in our, in our stories and our messaging that's missed. And that's really on the female side of the game. Um, and I didn't think it appropriate for three turds like me and Jared <laughs> and Zach to tell those stories. So when I brought this up to you, I was really excited that you were like, hell yeah, let's, let's figure this out. For sure. Um, and so today's episode one, you know. And you know what I'm so excited about? And this is not, I wondered when you first asked me, because I thought, am I really the right fit for a soccer mom? But what I grew up, so circa 1973 baby here. So that gives you my age. When I grew up, moms had a very different role in the game um, right. and, and, and a, an important role, you know. Uniform orders, snacks, getting people to and from, carpooling, really, really important. Do not cut those orange slices too thick that's <laughs> because then you get then you get that pulp you know i just want i just want that juice out of there mom don't and, mess that up and you some you guys he's got to come out or somebody's gonna <laughs> right. choke um but i wondered i thought you know i wonder if i'm the right fit i i'm not um i didn't grow up i grew up around that but i didn't become one of those because if you've played um you are quickly snatched up in a good way um especially right. being a girl being 22 years old in colorado um my actually my college coach here from lindenwood tim champion who's now over at melville high school had a friend in colorado who had a girls team was like you you played and they, they were hungry for girl coaches for their girls right. teams and so as i've aged into parenting i have four kids 
the roles I played weren't what I was used to seeing. Mm -hmm. I did have moms who played those roles for me. Thank you. Really important. But I never fit those roles. So I thought, are we going to really talk soccer here or or, or the other facets of being a soccer mom, which are also important. So I'm glad we can do it all. Well, I think that it's funny, you know, because in today's world, you know know how... um, I mean, the game is growing so fast just Mm -hmm. from a popularity standpoint across the board, whether it's, uh, you know, (laughs) my wife the other day, we're uh, on the way to uh, preseason camp for Beckett. And she's like, so who's going to be the six this year? Who's playing the 10? You know, I'm like, I'm like, who the who are you? You know, like, <laughs> yay for her, yay! <laughs> but just the you know vernacular, the, the soccer vernacular is becoming more part of every day. And I and I th- the one thing I've been thinking about as far as the direction and one of the uh, benefits of this show and what I think you are going to be able to bring to the table with your guests and your own insight is, you know, we always talk about uh, just as much as parents know what a six and a ten and a nine are now, they also know what the pillars are. And they know that typically there are the four pillars, right? Tech, uh, tactical, physical, and mental. But, you know, everybody just kind of gl- just glosses over the mental A side A little of bit. It. And then I would even argue that the fifth part of that would be family or relationships. And I don't know that I don't know what the title would be, you know, because all of those social, it's like social, emotional, like social for sure. I yeah. Think. Because, yeah. you know, when we look at the pillars right now, as they sit, it's all kind of measuring it to the individual. And those measurements generally do not include other people or larger groups to the degree that I think that it should. So I think that, I think it's gonna be fun to take those parts of our young players and individuals like our guests coming up, you know, uh, look at what worked, you know, and and what was well beyond the technical, tactical, and physical, because I think everybody agrees the mental is the side that's the most underserved. Right. It it is. It's estimated, and not by myself, but by um, sports psychologists, that it's probably, and it feels about right, about 30 years behind. So Mm -hmm. when, you know, you and I were growing up, I remember, <laughs> remember, so what you practice once, maybe twice a week if you were on a serious team. Oh, yeah. And, you know, over at Booter Park, you'd go for a run, then you'd hide behind the trees, stretch a little bit, and then come back huffing like you actually did the full run. Like, that was your warm-up. Like, right. that was it. Right, and there right. was no cool-down. It didn't exist. <clears throat> and position numbers exist. We just didn't use them. So I didn't no. grow up, actually, with sixes and tens and nines. We grow with, are you on the right or are you on the left? Yeah. Are you forward or are you fullback? What are you? You know, in the middle of the field. That's all you grew up with. So actually, I find myself still, even with having some experience in the game, I'm learning all the time. It wasn't until my daughter, who's almost 15, going to get that driver's permit, I'm really scared. Um, but when she was maybe 10, 11, that she was on a team that started using numbers, and she'd come home, she'd be like, I'm the eight. I'm like, you're the what? Are you a left no, wing mid or what? <laughs> What I know you? when you were born, you are 10. <laughs> so, yeah, and even those of us who I think growing up have experience, there's still so much more to learn about this game, and it has changed. Mm-hmm. Training that exists now wasn't even a thing yeah. back then. It wasn't a thing. So so give us an idea, because I know we've talked and we've, we've tossed out uh, short lists slash medium-sized lists of names uh, that are going to be target names as guests for the show. Um for somebody listening for the first time, give them an idea as to the type of guests that you will be focusing on that, you know, that I will help and bring to the table as well. But 
a little bit of like, what's the spine? What's going to be uh, maybe a theme or anything that you're looking to uh, keep front and center? Or is it, are we just looking at cool people doing cool shit and have a fun conversation? I think it's going to be all that. I don't really think listening to Soccer Dad Pod, it's going to be all that different because those the, the thing that might be different for some people is to know that some of those old names, the revered names are there on the women's side. Mm-hmm. They, we may not know them as much. Um, they may be standing next to you on a soccer field, um, but they have played. They have appeared for the U.S. women's team. Maybe one cap, but they've appeared. They played internationally. They're in here. They're just really busy being a soccer mom. So I think we're going to have some of those higher, you know, where we think about, oh my gosh, they played at a high level. But I think also it's important to have people that talk about the other things that impact moms, I think a lot, dads too. Um, but to talk about the social and emotional health of our kids, our nutritional health of our kids, right? injury prevention, um, maintaining a balance because high school's about to start in a couple of weeks. Um, that time when it's tryout time and my kid can't think of anything else, or it's High school versus club, which Soccer Dad Pod has tackled before. Uh, you dare, you dare, you dare to do or it. Unfortunately, I, t- TBD. Yeah, so. and, and moms have an opinion on it too, for sure. And I think yeah. a different perspective on it. Um, many of us grew up also playing that, and then find ourselves wondering what is best now for our kids since it's changed. Um, so I think all those, and even I've even got a few names in mind that were fellow soccer moms, or maybe when I was coaching, were crucial for me and helping my team run but are you know seeing their kids on all aspects right and and just have you know opinions and uh perspectives that matter how how undervalued is the team manager compared to the team coach in club soccer the the team can't so so (laughs) truly and and we'll let our next guest also speak on it because for me my happiest was to never do any of that manager stuff. Like, I don't want to you. fill out the paperwork. If I need a guest player, can I just please ask them, can somebody please fill out the paperwork and send it to Slice and sign it? Um, and snacks and, and all the things that are also important, like getting the kids together for bowling or whatever that looks like. Right. I am not, the, I was the world's worst kindergarten parent mom I tried it one year no and they hated me that they those kids hated me and you, you were like the you were the extra and bad teacher it was or, awful uh, it was, was awful because I'm like everybody place. sit down and be quiet we're here to have fun let's work and you know when you know when a mom taps you on the shoulder is like would you like some assistance and I was like yes please you, can you, you help me do you need some more Adderall <laughs> I can't is there anywhere I can make them run <laughs> you know like <laughs> these are five-year-olds bouncing off the wall not now give me give me 30 kids on a field I was happy to do yeah. that but yeah like team managers and people who also like uh in one of my team my my team's uh, a couple of the dads are really good at travel right because yeah. they travel a lot so they lend their booking and expertise and points and how you can gather the most and well they see huge. it as a, they see it as an excused uh reason to drink lots of beer in a hotel lobby uh, that's, uh, what, uh, that's why they do so I often find myself work. there I, I find myself <laughs> weaseling there I get teased a lot actually I'm the, the our 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 future guest here in a few minutes I get teased on that team for often hanging out with the dads more because I don't want to do the work that the moms do I don't want to do any of that stuff I just hang out with the dudes no there we go (laughs) well I I'm looking forward to this um I think it's good. I think you know we continue to peel the onion back over at STP, 
And I think this is going to be a way for us to literally cut it in a different angle and peel more layers back. Uh, because, you know, every one of these households, for the most part, there's a big chunk of that household that is missed in a lot of our conversations. So we're going to be able to bring in that side of it, you know, and make this more of a kind of a universal approach. So. Yeah. And I think when you bring in the voices, it doesn't matter who you are in the family, if you're the dad, if you're the mom or right. you're whatever, um, an in-law, a grandma, grandpa, sometimes they're very involved as well. The more perspectives you bring in, the, the just newer ways you have of thinking about it, I think we make the experience better for all of us on, you know, either sideline and, you know, those little people in the middle of the field. I agree. Who, uh, quick question, though. Who's generally crazier, soccer moms or dads? Ooh, you know what? Probably soccer moms, in a way. In a way. Um, the dads, I think the dads... Um, dads are more embarrassing. They can be, but... Yeah. Um, I've heard some crazy moms like there's some you know there's some ones that are they're willing to raise their voices I might have been one of them a time or two I've learned my lessons I <laughs> I've been a cupcake from day one <laughs> but you're but, also next to Jared and Zach so Jared probably outshines you right well, t- well typically we're in a different time zone like our children are on field central and we're over in eastern so that we're not near them <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's do this. Um, let's go ahead and roll to a quick break. All right. And when we come back, we'll introduce guest one. You will introduce guest one, and we're going to be off to the races. Uh, Alicia Keys, Girl on Fire, felt uh, apropos let's and was it. suggested by the guest to be. So looking forward to it. Welcome back to the Soccer Mom Sunday podcast. Jennifer C's here with you and JB Anderson. So, hello. Hello. We did a little bit of talking on the front side and we're, we're itching to get to our guest, I think. Yeah, I think it's time. I think uh, she sat here long enough. She did. She did. <laughs> and did not leave. She did take a few notes. I'm a little concerned about what she wrote down about what we said. <laughs> I think it, well, I can read it. it says, F that guy. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm. So excited to, it's funny because she's just Brie to me. That's how I met her. But Brie McCarthy, um, so many bullets, Brie. So first, hello. Hi. Thanks for joining us Thank today. Thank you guys so much for having me. my I'm first guest. To be here. So, so I, for everybody, I met Brie as, as my daughter's coach. So Brie's coming in and we're getting a new coach for Lou Fuse. Uh, Brie is a part of the uh, Girls Academy at Lou Fuse, but also so many other bullets that, that precede that. And I think one of the, the most popular ones to quickly say with you is, Former Canadian national team player. Yeah. I mean, right? Six, six whole caps. Six whole caps. Oh, hey. Six whole caps. Every cap counts. Every cap counts. Every cap counts. And and you ended on being a back, correct? You correct. You were in, a yeah. back in there. Um, and then also reminding me uh, of the other things that I remember reading yeah. in your bio when you were coming over to meet this, yeah. this young lady who was going to take over our girls. Yeah. Played over in Europe. Correct. Uh, can you fill us in on all the bullets? Absolutely. So, I mean, I guess I can kind of start from the beginning. So, yes, born and raised in just outside of Toronto. Uh, my parents are from the island. So my dad was born in Jamaica. My mom was born in St. Vincent. And they both immigrated to Canada when they were young kids. Um, so me, I kind of, from the beginning, like I said, um, got involved. I was in with our youth national team system very early. I went to my very first youth national team camp 
when I was 14 years old. Oh, wow. um, and that was a week-long camp. So it was kind of right out the gates. Um, our pathway system in Canada, I guess, is kind of similar. But again, lots of things change over the time over the I years. I definitely am going to ask you about definitely that, by the way. over the years. Um, but I started with a provincial team. So I played club soccer with my club team and then also played with the provincial team. That was supplemental to what we did um, with our club. And it kind of ran alongside of being with our club. Very similar to ODP. If okay. that makes sense. Yes. So you play on this provincial team, and then through that you get recognized. You get called up into into a youth national team camp setting. Um, at that point, we were getting ready for what was going to be in 2006 the first ever U17 World Cup, um, and that was wow, right. in actually host was New Zealand. So very cool to kind of be seeing the World Cup going on now in stadiums that I've played in. So that that's really really cool, interesting piece of of just everything and watching a lot of these World Cup games. Um, but yeah, so obviously grew up in Canada after I played my college ball at West Virginia University. Um, got recruited to go there again. Grew up playing as a forward, but then got recruited to go there as an outside back. My college coaches saw me playing with my national team because being a kid from Canada, we did come on a showcase event where we went to Indiana, um, but that was really the only exposure I'd had in the US. I knew growing, growing up, and along with a lot of other you know players, that came before me, if you were good at soccer in Canada, you wanted to go to the U.S. You wanted to go play D1 soccer somewhere. You don't know where, um, but that was the goal. And so kind of as that progressed, I played my college ball. After that, um, or through that process, I was in with the Canadian national team at this point, um, progressed through the, the systems, U17, U20. Um, our U20 team didn't end up qualifying. We didn't get out of CONCACAF that year, so didn't go to the U20 World Cup, played in the U17. And then I was the last cut before the Olympics, or sorry, before the World Cup in 2011 with the Canadian national team. And then oh. two years later, well, a year later, I was the last cut before the London Olympics in 2012. Wow. And that was kind of my transition, my retirement from Canada soccer was just not making those last two cuts. Now, I have no regrets, like in terms of my career, what I was able to do in the time that I played, um, every single opportunity that I did have, a lesson, and everyone that I didn't get, still, still a lesson. Is it a lesson or a blessing? One of the two. So um, through that time, I, I played, and after that, so I did end up, after I graduated from West Virginia, I played one year in the NWSL. So I, in the inaugural year of the NWSL, I played with Western New York Flash. I was one of the allocated players. So Canada soccer, Mexico soccer, and USA all kind of banded together that first year of the NWSL. And then they knew, okay, this was their third attempt at a women's professional league. Right. In like I'm remembering the back US. to WUSA days right. when that didn't work. Exactly, because they were. We scoot a little closer there. Yeah, yeah. sorry. They were, um, they, were, they were trying to make things work, and it wasn't working. Two previous failed leagues. The biggest factor, money. Mm. Um, and so Canada, Mexico, USA stepped in and said, we're going to cover the cost of our federation players. So I was one of the Canadian soccer players who my salary, instead of the NWSL covering it, hey, let's get the league going. So instead, um, U.S. paid the U.S. national team players. Canada played the, the federation. The federations covered the salaries okay. of those players in that first I think it was like the, for the first two couple of years of the NWSL. Now they've come away from that, but that was how they got the NWSL off the ground. And then kept it. And then, ke yeah, and then kept it. So it's definitely, an, and trust me, the NWSL is growing tremendously, but it's it's definitely still got, you know, some some steps to go. For, for you personally, though, I'm curious a little bit about the home life in the earlier years and then coming up to the point in which you are representing your nation and playing, you know, at, at the highest level. Yeah. Um, how was it in your household, though, knowing that uh, the goal was 
to play in America, to play Division One college, was that did your parents know that that was coming down the pipe and are you super tight family or was it like yeah. mom like oh hell no she's yeah. gonna go you know <laughs> it's coming how did how did you guys manage that as a household uh with the imminent departure yeah um it was kind of the expected like I knew from an early age like like I said I went to my first youth national team camp at 14 so I went on my first international trip without my parents with the provincial team. I think I was 13 years old. We went to Brazil for like oh my gosh. 10 days, no parents. So yeah. I was with coaching staff. We were with a team manager who had a lot of, um, I mean, she was basically with us most of the time. But I, I had been traveling so much for soccer at such an early age that it was just normal. It was a part of everything. So me getting ready to go to college was not a big deal. I, I, I grew up younger, uh, 91 baby. So I ended up graduating. I was 17 when I went to college. So I was I was turning 18 that fall and being away from home, my family, very close. Um, that's part of also in going through the recruiting process. Um, I had, I had some options, which was great and a lovely place to be. But, um, kind of detoured away from further away schools. I ended up at West Virginia University, which after going, after hesitantly going on my um, unofficial visit there, fell in love with it, fell in love with the coaching staff, fell in love with the players. Um, at the time, the facilities were just okay. Now they're world class. Um, but it, it was an easy decision after falling in love there that I could cancel some of my visits to further away schools. The Floridas were out of the mix. As much as I really wanted to pursue a Florida State, a Miami, mm. a USF. I had all those visits lined up, um, and I canceled them after my visit to West you Virginia. You found it. After loving it. Like, it was an easy decision. I got on campus, and that was the feel. Um, and if I'm being fully transparent here, Penn State was actually my dream school. Like, I was like, oh, my goodness, that's where I wanted to go. There was a player that came ahead of me who she had gone there. Um, it was like, not to say that it was rare for a Canadian to go there because they had some, but – it was that was that was where I wanted to be, and then I got on campus mm -hmm. and I didn't love it, um, and it just wasn't. It didn't feel like home. It didn't feel like a good fit. And if I so, knew I was going to be leaving, so rural West Virginia felt more like <laughs> Toronto. No, okay. <laughs> I say this to say everything. Like Morgantown, West Virginia is is a little little country of its own. Just um, a little. It's just a little just a country little. of its own. But it it did it 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 encompassed a lot of things that were family that were hard work, blue collar mentality. It had all of the things and the coach, I got to tell you the coaching staff. I mean, that's part of the reason why I do what I do now. I'm a coach because of the coaches that I had when I was at West Virginia, awesome. um, females, mind you, but, uh, just the overall, how they, how they introduced the game, how they had me think about the game. Um, and then who they were to me off the field. That was a huge part of my decision process as well. It was like, my parents were like, oh, I could, I could be comfortable with you hanging out for, with this lady for the next four years and turning you over to them. My dad had a you know, separate conversation. was like, listen, if she steps out of line on you, like, you, can, you, <laughs> can hand, you, can you, can, you can handle her. Like, you can pop her across the head if she gives you any <laughs> attitude. Um, so my, my parents, I mean, them, they were a huge factor in that as well and making sure that it, it felt good. It felt like it was right, and it did. Um, no regrets at all about my, my college decision. When did you have your first female coach? Do you remember? It was college. It was, so it, it, was, it took, yeah. It wasn't so until, yes. I, I actually years. had, um, it was odd at the mm -hmm. time, um, I went to Eureka High School and had um, a female basketball coach and then the first um, woman uh, soccer coach that had come in. So very, very short. Um, and then I had, my, in college was mm -hmm. my first uh, introduction to really somebody full on right. in the sport I wanted to do yeah. long term as a female coach. And um, I found that that 
you know, I, I being coached by men for so long wasn't a bad thing at all. No. Sometimes the approaches are the same. Sometimes they're different. Um, but that was that a big part of your development? Did it not matter? No, I think it was huge in my development. I, I was able to trust my coach in a little bit of a different way. And it's not to say that I didn't fully trust my male coaches, but it was different because I, I witnessed my female coaches go through other female things. I saw my, mm. I saw my college coach, you know, read her kids' bedtime stories on buses while we were on the road. And like, that just made her more human to me. I saw a different side of her that, um, that just allowed me to think, oh my goodness, you can, you can juggle, you can do both. Uh-huh. There, there is a road for this. And I think before that I had never, never imagined that, never thought that that was even possible. Yeah. The first time I remember seeing anything that wasn't, you know, just something on the field, um, was actually later when I was done. I, I played a little bit after college, got on an over 30 women's team that we played an open cup, but over 30, like the Purdue, <laughs> we didn't play 20 year olds. But um, I remember around that time, whenever the WSA was going on, I remember George, my husband was roughing a game. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, I went there and I remember it was at some college, don't remember exactly where, it was out of town. And the women were, the, 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 the locker rooms hadn't been open for them. They were changing in a hallway. And I was like, what is happening right now? I didn't love that part, but after the game, I did, because here are some of the ones who had just had children were back playing. Um, they were, you know, getting there. The little 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 bebopper was yeah. coming up to them while they were trying to take their stuff off, and they signed everybody's autographs. That's right. what they were really good at. And they were getting on a bus, mm-hmm. and their their husbands and their their spouses and their kids were following in their cars. Like this is before we had funding, right? right? right. And but just looking at and just seeing this, like, can this happen? both simultaneously right and it's hard yeah um but simultaneously this can live side by side wow yeah to me no it's awesome it's awesome so yeah so I mean bringing you forward then so you know got through college I know when did you go to Europe to play I don't remember so after I did played one season in the NWSL after that I was like hey let's let's try what overseas has to offer so I almost ended up in Japan actually my no agent way. yeah at the time my agent was like yeah pack your bags like we're, we're going to Japan I said oh great awesome downloaded Duolingo <laughs> had like all these <laughs> Japanese things try, trying to get into it um, and then last minute we pivoted he goes wait there's a club in Germany that wants you like really wants you I said okay sign the paperwork let's do it so change change right. language little, in Duolingo exactly <laughs> little change of plans um, so then I ended up after my first season in the end of the actually sorry that summer I played in the WPS, oh man, it was Ottawa Fury. I went up to, in Canada. Right, there's so many I, leagues I that we don't even know about. Forget an I think. It was a, the WSL Super League, I believe. Yeah, maybe. Man, I'm spacing on it. But anyways, um, did that for like half a season. And then that was kind of my transition point and then headed overseas. Was in Germany for three seasons. Uh, I was with SC Sand for, for, two, for sorry one of those seasons. And then BV Kloppenberg, um, both in the Frauen Bundesliga. So, wow. Yeah, I spent three seasons over there before my body and everything was started to break down a little bit. I was like, okay, and I and I literally I called up Nikki from West Virginia and I said, hey, I think I'm done playing soccer. I'd finished, you know, with Canada soccer. At this point, I was just playing to travel the world on somebody else's dime, have some fun, yeah, money, do do <laughs> what I wanted it. to do exactly, <laughs> just enjoy it. Um, put off being an adult for a little bit, and then I was like, oh, like, you know, okay, what what do I want to do? I got my undergraduate degree in coaching education. Uh-huh. West Virginia University is one of the only you know places that has 
has a whole bachelor's degree of coaching education that really doesn't matter because you still need your licensing. Um, and I was like, okay, I want to coach. Nick, Nick, Nick has always inspired me to coach. I want to give back to the game in some way, shape, or form. What does it look like? So I, got, I called her up. I said, Nick, where do I start? She goes, well, come back. Be my grad assistant. So I, you know, came back to the U.S. Um, and was a grad assistant at West Virginia for three years. Picked up two more master's degrees along the way, which was great. Love free education. <laughs> um, and then eventually it was time to spread my wings. So after kind of serving on the staff at West Virginia for three years um, as a grad assistant, but really I was, I was very much a part of that staff. I, you know, we, we made decisions together. Nick ultimately made all the final calls, but it, that was one of the biggest growing moments of my life because I was going through a transition of, first of all, I was mourning the loss of my career being done, right. which was rough for yeah. a year and a half. It was like, I, I there's lost. a literal piece of your identity that gets oh my, stripped away. It was my identity. Being a yeah. soccer player was all I knew. Um, so, so that was definitely tough, but in the same breath, I was immersed in, in my alma mater and in, in providing, I was the perfect liaison for the players to the coaching staff because yeah. all of those players, as when I went back, um, they had none, I hadn't played with any of them. I was five and a half years removed from college. So all of those players knew of me. They knew right. me as, you know, Brie on the wall who like, you know, had a couple, had a couple records, you know, Nick talks about her a lot. She used to cramp a lot. That, that, that was me. <laughs> they just knew me as Brie McCarthy. They didn't know me as the player. So yeah. Um, being kind of that that person for a lot of the players, that was where I started to grow this relate. I'm like, okay, so I'm kind of their coach. I don't want to be their friend just yet, um, but just building maybe those a mentor in right. a way too. Where sometimes I remember that some of the best assistants I I enjoyed was they were like they could do everything the coach could do, yeah. but they're not the coach. Correct. You can maybe talk. They can be a little bit of a buffer yep. or or sometimes deliver just messaging in a different way. Yeah. Yeah, and that's how that that's the role that I really think that I was so good at filling for, for that team for for that era of what we were going through was I was kind of the person like hey if they needed something if they weren't sure about something they'd come to me I'd be like hey you got to go to Nick like just just talk to her or yeah. or it's hey let, let's do this let's pivot let's talk about it we'll we'll break this down we'll I'll give them perspective on things and so that I really enjoyed that which is kind of like what I'm spiraling into now with my role and then we got you in St Louis yeah like, like, so, was that was that after West so Virginia just like, like after, bring it linearly no, I got you. So, so three years at West Virginia, and eventually, you know, being Canadian, I was on my student visa at the time. Mm -hmm. um, Nick was like, "Bree, it's it's time for you to spread your wings. You gotta go. You gotta go fly." And so that's how I ended up taking a job at St. Louis University. So I was an assistant with um, SLU under Katie, who's brilliant. Katie um, Shields. Yep. Katie Shields. I was there for a year through COVID. I moved to St. Louis Ooh, right smack welcome. dab in hey. the middle of the pandemic. Welcome so, to St. Louis. <laughs> yep, it was it was a time. It was trying, man. COVID tests every day, everybody up my nose. Um, it, it was definitely a time. Um, and that's how I kind of got um, to St. Louis. That's what brought me here was that job at SLU. And then through that and being with the college game, um, got in, introduced with the youth game and kind of never looked back after that. So now really? I'm obviously at Lufus and I fell in love with the development. So talking about, you know, the liaison, the, the purpose that I had linking players with coaches, um, I thought back, okay, and I, I started to really see kids develop. In a short amount of time, I saw a kid pick up a ball and something that they struggled at, after three minutes of working at it, they became good at it. I know, they, right? And I'm like, oh, my God. Like The just, blessings of youth. They're so they're <laughs> sponges. They just soak things up so quickly. And to see their path and, and the potential that kids have is like, okay, potential is just one thing. You can't just ride on your potential. How are we going to get you to where you want to go? What, is, what does that process look like? So that's, that's kind of the process that I really fell in love with and helping kids 
like based off of my experiences as well, what is it going to take for you to get to the next level? If that's what you want, if you right. don't want it, then that's fine. Um, but so, so I have a, I have a question, yeah. just kind of a perspective mm-hmm. uh, to get your perspective because you know you grew up in the Canadian system and you you were you were at the top of the pile, mm-hmm. uh, you know, on a national team that. You know, it was still in a growing phase, yeah. right? Uh, you then set your sights to, you know, at the time what you saw as, hey, this is where I need to be. This is the best competition, mm-hmm. that being Division One yep. domestically here. Uh, and then you take the trip overseas mm-hmm. and, you, and you go to, you know, uh, arguably the hotbed mm-hmm. of, of soccer, Europe in yep. particular, Germany even more so. Yeah. You know, and you saw all those cultures and you saw how they react and love and treat the game. Mm-hmm. And then you come back, you coach, and you come to St. Louis. You go to SLU, and, and, and anybody that knows the game knows that SLU is a hallowed school mm-hmm. for the game. Yep. And once you moved into the youth side and you go to these clubs, uh, Fuse first, yes. correct? I was at Gallagher for a short stint. <laughs> okay, so even better. So yeah. you saw both sides yeah. of that of that equation. What did you have like a gut feeling or an instinct? Was there anything uh, different about St. Louis compared to these these other environments that that you that you spend a lot of time in? Yeah. Uh, was it an easy hook? Were you sold on it? Were you like, damn, these kids are good? You know, what's in the water here? <laughs> Just I'm looking for your perspective on the different yeah. g- geographies more no, than no, absolutely. I tell you what, so. Um, definitely. You said, is there something in the water? Yeah, I, that's definitely was a thought in my mind was, wow, what is St. Like St. Louis is a soccer city. That's like a little gem that I'd heard about. So my, one of my other assistant coaches from West Virginia played here with Athletica, which was the mm-hmm. w, yeah. uh, WSL team that was here prior. Um, and she was like, pre St. Louis is amazing. You're going to love it. I, my college roommates were from here. Um, and so they obviously gave me a little bit of the background of it. I heard of Gallagher, you know, now Bush and uh, all these oh, yeah. kind of throwing it back <laughs> of, of the same. And I had, I knew nothing about it before really coming yeah. here. I'd you, heard lots. You can name basically any beer brand. Right. We had and those it's, and it's from We had here. sodas too. Like Vast Pepsi. But yeah, I think that like I said, St. Louis is a soccer city and and that is it's definitely different than any place else I've ever been. I will say um obviously you got your Portland which you know considered soccer city also certain Kansas City. Um but St. Louis has definitely been different to me. I feel like it, there, there is such a, like, like you said, hotbed of youth, of talent coming out of St. Louis. Um, and I think that they, it's, it's just so rich. There's so much history about it, too. The Mac being, you know, here and, and using that, lo- that location, um, it's, it's, it's really cool to just see how it all ties together. Interesting on also, too, your, the differences of going through Canada's system, right? And you said you were at an early age, and then you, yeah, at still a young age, went yeah. over to Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, the differences in training um, and what uh, the relationship, I was just speaking with it with another person actually today and, and just talking, he's a, a guy who really more followed baseball and he's trying to understand soccer. And he's like, you know, is it done differently over at Europe? Yeah. Like, how is it? I hear that it's more of a kind of an everyday part of their culture versus a couple of times a week I go to practice versus maybe in um, Holland. I think Jan, you've had Jan on talking on the Soccer right. Dad pod, JB, about, you know, how you might school and soccer and everything for the family looks really different over there than here. 
Yeah, um, that that would be the big. It's culturally, it's mm. it's a part of people's DNA in Europe. Whereas here, it, it is. It's I go to soccer practice two three times a week, and that's it. And when I get home, I drop my bag at the door, and that's it. Until They're I very go, separate. And, very separate. Whereas, and so that's what you know. Now I'm trying to develop in the young players that I do mm. uh, work with, and part of part of everything that I want to do is to influence, to impact, and. If I can influence them by sharing my experiences, my stories, hey, like you have to do other things when you get home from soccer practice. It can't just, or if you want to get there. And so for the ones that really do want to get to the next level, um, they have to put the work in outside of that because we can only provide them so much. We only get them for two hours, two, mm. three times a week. And so the work needs to be done outside of that because the rest of the world is absolutely doing that. And so as you kind of, I know we're going to go on a little bit, but one of the things was pathway that I wanted to talk about. Yeah, no, I've got it down here too. Yeah, and so I think that the pathway here is, I don't want to say that it's broken. I don't think it's ever really been the way anybody else is doing it. Yeah, and I think that that's, I don't know if, JB, there's time or a break yet. Well, no, no, I, th- I, th- I, th- that was what- exactly where I wanted to go. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, I, I think it's critical because I, you know, the, the, the biggest current event, the news headline grabber right now, uh, you know, at the time of this release will be roughly, you know, six, seven days from, uh, the U S women's team being bounced out. Mm-hmm. Canadian mm-hmm. team was bounced out as well. Germans. Um, you know, yeah, and, Germ- and, Germany <clears throat> yeah. and one of the largest, you know, because everybody has a theory on mm-hmm. socials in particular, but development and pathway, when you look at what we are doing mm-hmm. uh, as, as technically first to the party, uh, you know, the U.S. women were did have a head start over the vast majority of countries for a long, long time. Well, that's not the case anymore. And these countries that are catching up fast have developed pathways and development systems. Yeah. And, you know, I on a recent interview with uh, Brian McBride, who, Mm -hmm. you know, St. Louis and born or not St. Louis and born. Sorry. So Chicago, Chicago but SLU and then, you know, really U.S. men's national team holds like still tons of records. Great dude has a daughter my age, Bree's age group of my daughter's team that plays for I think it's FC United in Chicago for the GA. And towards the end of the interview, he you know, we both chatted a little bit and he did say, you know, that it's it the challenge he thought all also was pathway a bit that, you know, when he was with the U.S. men's national team, worked closely with the U.S. women's national team, but that even though things up there at the top, you know, obviously need some working on, it's the bottom ways when we look at, you know, here's my 14-year-old daughter who tells me at this moment, I want to play on the U.S. national team. I don't know if that's going to be the same in two years, but it's hard to like look and see what that path might be. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's as clear. And I know the men's side has has issues too uh, for the boys' side, but I think it's a little muddier maybe on the girls' side. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's just, there's so many. There's mm-hmm. so many. America is so big. I think about Canada, it's a big country, but like the population of kids that actually play soccer is not massive. It's growing, um, mm-hmm. but I think it's growing here as well too. There's just so many kids to siphon through. And, and it's almost like kids get slipped slip through the cracks. And because when you need to you need to have X amount of dollars to travel, to play, GA, ECNL, um, all of these leagues, if you don't have the means to be in those, it's almost like you're, you're never really going to be seen to get an opportunity to play on a national team. Right. And if so, you don't have the time, as, as I know some of the, the clubs do, and they've talked about it before, of mm-hmm. trying to – make things, you know, uh, less expensive to offer parents, you know, a chance to work. But, you know, if you don't have the time to be a referee or to work the concession stand or work off those hours, you're literally like working another job in some ways to get your kid through soccer. Exactly. Exactly. And that is crazy to me because in other countries, 
it's a privilege to play on teams. Mom and dad didn't pay for it. What What is the format in Canada today? Uh, it, honestly, it's very similar to the U.S. in sure. the, on a smaller scale, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I, I, club fees, like I t- blow my mind what some club fees are. Um, and so it's very similar in Canada, same structure. You play with your club team, but then they have, like I said, those provincial programs, and those kind of filter your way into the national team um, and things along that line. Do also, they work well together? Like sometimes I do. know that club teams, and it might depend on the city, I'm not for sure, yeah. club teams and our ODP mm-hmm. don't always play well together. Yeah. They don't. Yeah. Um, they do play well. So Canada soccer oversees all of it. So they, it, hey, everything filters down through Canada soccer. That is a massive difference. Now right there. I will say, time soccer. out, Canada soccer also got some issues. But, <laughs> we know. We've but, heard some at the top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I say that to say they kind of oversee everything. Like the club soccer is all, all of the national championships for club soccer is filtered. Like Canada soccer cover all of that. Okay. So, so there's not... 12 different uh, leagues or registered leagues or whatever. Now, don't quote me on this because it's been a while, but I'm pretty sure it's just the one. It's like the Ontario Youth Soccer League, which they changed the title. It was OISL, and they had different titles for it. It's changed over the years, but it's still all all the same, I'm pretty sure. But there's not like ECNL, GA, um, like even on the... um, Boys side, well, boys and girls side. You got yeah. U.S. Youth Soccer, and then you got the 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 I sixty four league. Right. You got the Central League, the whatever league. The yeah. you know, there's so many kinds of leagues. The and Jamestown Mall League. There you go. <laughs> like it, it, it gets really confused. If you're, I'm confused. Yeah. Still being immersed in the game for so long. If you're a brand new parent and yeah. you got some little soccer stud that wants stud that wants yeah. to play, um, I can see how they go yeah. glassy because they don't know where to go. Exactly. Don't know what exactly. to do. Well, I tell you what, I think that might be a great place to go ahead and take a break All because right. I think. On the flip side of this, I say we really put a little TNT into this conversation because what we're talking about is <laughs> pathway club development and, you know, where where, do, where does it all play nice? Mm-hmm. Where does it not play nice? Uh, so if you two are cool with that, why don't we why don't we take quick? Let's do it. Quick yeah. break. Um, Let's pay bills. Is it happy hour yet? I <laughs> <laughs> uh, will do that. We're going to we're, we're going to take a quick break. Here's a little Alicia. And when we come back, we're going to uh, we're going to solve we're going to solve youth soccer problems in America. How's that sound? <laughs> Let's do it. Is that going to work? <laughs> Not enough time. In one podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back. Back on the Soccer Mom Sunday podcast, Jennifer C's here with JB Anderson and Bree McCarthy. We've been talking, you guys, some some about, you know, kind of finding our way. And, and really, I really wanted to spend that time kind of on your buildup so our listeners and we remember, like, how many perspectives you've had at a really young age, yeah. right? And so, so being in Canada, being over in Europe, playing back here in the United States, from playing as an adult woman and then down to coaching college and then coaching youth, which is, it's a different game. It's, it's the same game, but different, different, different ways you go through it. So I want to start out with, with on this segment, uh, the question, because you played as a national player, you see <laughs> Canada bounced, U.S. bounced, <laughs> Germany bounced earlier than they should have ever probably have. Are these teams in, in particular here, we're sitting in the United States, is the U.S. women's team broken? <laughs> Are we broken? <laughs> Such a loaded question. But it is no, a totally loaded question. No, I don't believe that the U.S. national team is broken. Um, I think that, like we said, in ter- not even in terms of 
we can go back to the pathway, but I think more than anything, it's the opportunities that they're able to provide for younger players. It lacks tremendously. So if you look at, so again, I'll go back to my experience playing in, in Germany. On my professional team where I was being paid to play on it, we had teenagers that were on it. And so now there's this new trend, you know, we got you know, Chloe Ricketts and um, Mel Bar Barcenas over uh, for San Diego Wave. So these teenagers, 15, 16 year olds in, in the league. Mm -hmm. I think we can count on two, one, or one hand how many there are over in other leagues. You, get, you can't count yeah, on You game. told me that once. We were yeah. talking like away from this, and you were yeah. telling me that the number of young teenagers playing in high-level league play, maybe right. in Europe, like mm -hmm. way more than way here. Way more. I think the number... I Why? Think I, I, Why is that? I wish I could tell you. Well, it's because... I think it's just because for them... That's all they know. Like it's it's tied in, like we said, culturally with everything that they do. So a lot of girls, those players, they would go to school in the daytime, and then it was it was football time. Like they there's school, football, school, football. That was it. Whereas here, I think that there is there's a lot of other things. We have our multi-sport athletes, which not knocking that. I think yeah, that's let's not a, piss off the no, multi-sport exactly. parents. <laughs> I, I I was as well. Right. I played the sports. I, I played the things. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. I'm not knocking it. However, it just it it's so broad. There's there's so many and. In terms of specializing, we, we say that we don't necessarily want to specialize too young, too soon, but I think the time and energy that's put into it, you see it on the back end. Um, and so, no, I don't think that the U.S. national team is broken, but I think that the opportunities provided for younger players, right now with the U.S., they don't have opportunities because they still got some older players in the mix. Yeah, you know, it's <laughs> funny that you did that. I did a quick count before, you know, we, we set up for today. And, and I, I probably, I just broke them out in the, in the five. So 18 to 25, seven mm -hmm. of them. 26 to 30, I still consider that relatively young, but mm -hmm. eight of them. So that's mm -hmm. a bigger spine than I thought in yeah. that. But then 31 to 35, seven, and, and Rapino being 38. And, right. and if Sauerbrunn, I think 36, if yeah. she, 37 if she'd been on there. Yeah. Um, does that trend higher on the aging uh, for, for teams national? You mean around the world? Yeah. Or, or, yeah, yeah, comparatively Compar speaking. I mean, that's a, I, I don't know the exact number. I'm not going to sit here and try and say that I do. But I would imagine no. I think it's on the younger side for most of them. I think that they'll they'll have, you know, that number. But mm -hmm. I think that it'll, it's kind of more so the opportunity to bring the, those younger players in and give them the chances, give them the opportunities. Which, Time on the field. Exactly. Where I feel like <laughs> we're, the U.S. national team is doing that, where they're bringing the players in, but are they getting time on the field in meaningful minutes as opposed to just, okay, you know, friendlies, qualifying tournaments. Okay, when, when it really comes down to it, I would have loved to see Alyssa Thompson on the field. Call, yeah. me, call me crazy. Right. But an opportunity where if you're in a scoring drought, if you're not scoring goals. Yeah. Try something new. Lynn Williams should have been on the field a lot more, and that's just my opinion. Um, but in the times that she was on the field, she, she put more shots on target than anybody else in the small amount of time that she did get on the field. That, to me, from a coaching perspective, like should have been granted more opportunities for, so for these younger players. So that's kind of the, the piece where, for me, it's, it's just simply giving younger players more of an opportunity. Is that, you know, and we probably get into too much XOs and we, the coach isn't here, right, to, right. to talk about his perspective. But there, you know, there are, you, you can look at it, you can see it in high school, mm -hmm. you can see it on um, other teams. I'm sure you can probably see it somewhere in the WSL, NWSL, where you wonder, like, what's better on the field? Freshness and, and, and legs, obviously, right? We all have our 18-year-old legs back. Wouldn't that be awesome? Um, but obviously, you don't, play your, you don't play your wisest soccer at 18 years old. No. You play wiser soccer. And maybe he erred on the side of yeah. wisdom and veteranship. Experience. When, and experience. So, 
when maybe we should have had yeah. a little bit of both. both. So let me let me throw some statistics to it because you know. Thank you. This Thank is you. one yeah. thing like on on our show. I want a stat boy. Yeah. And I like playing playing <laughs> stat boy today because I was looking at the numbers here. Um, well, let me just pose it to you as a question. Uh, what do you think the average age of all women's teams in the World Ooh. Cup? What do you think the average age is? Twenty five. I was gonna go close to that. So yeah. Twenty eight. Okay. Uh, on the men's side, uh, guess the age there. That'll say 30. I, I was going to go younger. Really? Jen's right, but not by much. Oh, okay. 27. Okay. Uh, oh, yeah. Just because I know, I've, I've heard that goalkeepers don't reach their peak till they're like 30. Older, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but on the men's side, the thing that really amazes me compared to our women, because our mm -hmm. women, the average age was over the average of the tournament, but on our men's side, our average age is 25.2. We were the youngest team in the World Cup. And the women's team is was, I think it said, top five of the oldest in mm. the current World Cup. Interesting. So I don't, you know, look, yeah. truth in numbers is all completely relative. But considering mm -hmm. not just the exit, because they both exited at the exact same stage, uh, you, know, yep. if, you know, first, first knockout game. Mm -hmm. But it seems as if there is significantly more vitriol towards the women being bounced because of the expectation. Um, so I guess my question to the two of you, do, you, do you think they got the team wrong in hindsight, given what we saw? Go for, um, I don't know that they got it wrong. I think they're also played with some injuries. You're missing some key pieces. Obviously, Becker, Becky Sauerbrunn, a, a late kind of not non-inclusion because based to, on injury um there was another Katarina Macario I think would have been a really fantastic piece to the puzzle for this group as well um and then just how he utilized the I don't think the roster was wrong um I just think how it was utilized could have been better yeah plugging and playing at the right timing mm -hmm. which I know isn't always just his call you have a staff that also helps mm -hmm. you with that as well right. or they should be mm -hmm. um but like when you plug and play like oh, so I'll just go for the easy one to pick on um I'll, I'm sorry Alex Morgan I'm gonna pick on yeah. that so yep, yep. when when a striker um whether you're one or of two or whatever your formation is your job is to score goals you're you're mm -hmm. there to score goals and you know you can call it age you can call it she's had also children and I can speak from personal experience you are never the same after that even though they are amazing all of them mm -hmm. um whatever it was on the day sometimes you're just not producing on the day right uh, I can go to Rapino as well when you're not when you're not able and it's just not falling for you right somebody else take the corner kick please mm -hmm. um somebody else go to the tip of the spear and see if we can try something else so that would be you know those are my easy two to pick on yeah. right there obvious so one th one other thing I want to kind of uh point out I like this stats job, by the way. I'll tell you that. Uh, I'm looking. You have to teach Zach or, or Jared how <laughs> yeah, to run this board. Be, they got to do. Yeah, they're they're too busy drinking. They'll spill. <laughs> uh, group stages. Just kind of looking at, you know, uh, the the who's who says a lot. Uh, the group winners, um, and I'm just going to read them quickly. In uh, Switzerland, you know, they're they're surrounded by soccer powers. Australia, host nation. Uh, Japan. Uh, is kind of the north star of the Asian region. Uh, England, we all know them. Netherlands, know them. France, know them. Sweden did their thing. And then Colombia is obviously, you know, in a soccer hotbed region as well. So one of the arguments and, and the question that I have for really both of you to uh, chime in here um, is 
how much does the acceleration of the women's game period globally uh, come into play here and specifically when we talk about soccer nations because w reading the list of group winners you could, could you could easily mistaken that for a men's world cup group winning list it's there's an over that Venn diagram of countries you expect to win mm -hmm. they are now winning on the women's side as well what's your thoughts on that yeah, I'll let you go first. Well, so part of me wonders a couple of things. So just speaking, knowing how we know the, uh, how I know sort of the U.S. system works, I, I think some of this, and I'm not sure how England does it, and I'm not exactly sure, but if England is modeling on their women's side what they do on their men's side, we know that that culture, Brie, what you kind of talked about, how they approach the game and how it's intertwined with it's, it's not extracurricular to, to school, it's co-curricular. You know, it's learning right. in soccer is, is just as important as learning in a classroom for your, quote, studies, and it's just a part of their lives. If they're modeling that, then I can say for assurance we're not modeling that in the United States, not for the girls, maybe also not as much for the boys. I mean, JB, you have it a little bit, you understand with City Academy, you, well, you I get think a little bit of... I think they're approaching that, maybe? Yeah, because if you look at the MLS academies on the, on the boys' side in particular, if you look at the academies that are really thriving, that are pumping out uh, national team pool players as well as the quickest prospects to homegrown and or Europe, they, they it's not a coincidence that they are coming from a lot of the live-in academies. Philly, Real Salt Lake. Um, Columbus Crew. You know, crew is implementing that. Uh, that's not a coincidence. Mm -hmm. And I think to your point, much like these other uh, nations around the world, their, their soccer is embedded into the culture, including and especially the school. So they, they have math, they have English, they have history, but they don't have... Uh, you, you know the the uh, your optional courses. There's no they don't do that stuff. Mm -hmm. They tell them to go outside and play soccer and they train. So big parts of their day, and that's starting to be implemented on the boys' side at, at some of the academies that I just mentioned. So you know you look at you know and I'm still kind of like aha moment looking at these groups because if you go down the number twos. You have soccer nations. It's Norway, uh, Spain, Denmark. Y you know, that's not a coincidence. Yeah. So, y what's that's what popped to my mind when you were saying that. It was like it just reminds me of it's got to be. Yeah, I'm not qualified, but it's got to be. You've got to be modeling that. Yeah. And if we've got on the U.S. side a, a, a men's boys program, which is older than the women's program, you know, regardless of who's been more successful, it's still got numbers of years on, on any women's or girls program. If we're still trying to figure it out on the boys' side and men's side, then the girls are, no matter how fast we came out of the gate, are going to be behind a little bit in that. And I know we're trying to play catch up, but it is not equal yet. And, and we don't, frankly, we don't, you have NWSL, but you're, it's still growing. We're still trying to make sure, but we certainly don't have NWSL academies. No, and I think that going back to your point, JB, is, is, is exactly that, is the live-in, the, the, the cultural embeddedness of soccer just in everything that they're doing, everything that they're doing. I did have a stat that I wanted to share with you guys. So seven versus 243. That's the number of teenagers making pro appearances in the U.S. compared to in Germany. Whoa. 
Seven what? versus 243. So only seven here, 243 in Europe. Yeah. In Germany. In Germany, specifically in the Bundesliga. Girls. That was women. That I, girls. Yep. Women slash girls because they're kind of young. <laughs> girls slash women of teenagers okay, so, making pro appearances. So then that coupled with the fact that they did get bounced early out of the tournament. Now, do you think that this is more of like the German methodical mindset that they are building a better car in the long run? <laughs> You know, they, this is their their version of BMW and women's soccer is going to be, let's load up these teenagers early and teach them. I think so, but I, I don't think it's a load them up. I think it's just to prepare them for what's to come. Sure. Because if you look at the Alyssa Thompsons and the younger players of the U.S. national team, they're getting NWSL experience, but, like, she's one in one, one of seven, right, uh, teenagers who are, who are getting these minutes. There should be more. There should be more in, in involved so that they can have the experience so that when they're called upon, they're ready. Because I, I, I mean, I don't know what's going through through Vladko's mind, but it, I would imagine if he's has any hesitation, any reservation about putting these players on the field, it's because they don't have experience. Mm-hmm. So if we get them experience, then then maybe they get get a shot. Maybe they get to go prove their point. Make, make a name for themselves. So. Right. And it's got, it kind of felt like to me, again, watching on TV, how do I know? I hate it when people second, you know, backseat coach me right. when I was coaching. Oh, for sure. But, you know, it, it, I wondered, it's like, does he feel like Morgan, Alex Morgan was not doing it fine. Why isn't somebody else slid in there to give it a try? Yeah. And I can only be like, either you are just so steadfast, you're going to stick with your vet. Right. Um, that you are like, I trust that they're going to pull through this. I, I can see that. I've done that before. Same. Or you lack confidence or in the ability for the young one to take that massive pressure on, mm-hmm. which it is. We saw Sophia Smith. Um, she knows how to take a PK. Right. She knows how to take a PK. For sure. Megan knows how to take a PK. Alex knows how to take a PK. Uh, okay, fine. As you get a little older, we know that some p- pace can drop off, but precision doesn't drop off. No. Um, so it's like riding a bike. It is. And it's, so that, those are mindsets. <laughs> It. So you watch, I give Sophia a little bit of a pass because, wow, what a big moment yeah. for, for, for a young one to, to have. Yeah. I don't give the pass to, to Megan or Morgan, who didn't take them there in the, the kicks from the mark, but in a game earlier. Yeah. Um, that that. But in order to be able to do that, they have to feel those pressure moments. So at least Sophia Smith got that. Alyssa Thompson really did not. Exactly. But I tell you what, look out for four years from now when all of those players have a little bit of experience now, and that's fuel to the fire for when they come back. So... Having even those young players be there for that is important for, for what's to come for the U.S. National Okay, team. so that's fair. So look at the numbers. So Rapino will be out. Yeah. Um, I don't know what Alex is going to do or, you know, some of the— Julie Ertz says Ertz is done probably going to be done. Who is awesome, by Amazing. the way. Um, but as they age out um, or select out mm-hmm. um, for whatever reasons— you look at that, okay, 31 to 35, some of those, maybe half of those seven, so yeah. three or four are around. Um, you still got, you know, eight to seven. You know, who else is coming? Right. Who's and you coming think to fill the funnel? Tobin Heath still press. You got to think about these other players that are kind of like, you know, in the mix, but will, will they come back? Will they, Will yeah. they be prioritized over the younger generation? We don't know. And well, should they be? I don't, I don't, be? I don't. Exactly. Well, so this is a good point to maybe shift into a little bit of that hot topic that we all know and love, <laughs> uh, club versus everybody, right? Oh boy. Uh, high school, mm-hmm. et cetera. Um, it, because it's a little hard to find data without really digging in deep, but, uh, do, do the two of you perceive, you know, cause it looks as if some of the younger players that are on the women's side are really coming out of uh, more, 
of what I would call the GA or the academy environments, mm -hmm. you know, that number is increasing. You know, I, we, we talk about on the men's side, if you look at the top uh, 30, uh, the power ranking of the men's top 30, I think there's only like two that maybe three that played high school. The rest have come up through MLS academies or similar. You know, one of those that did uh, is Tim Ream, who's an anomaly at 35, 36 years old when it didn't even exist when he played. Right. Um, so my question is, do you see, you know, Bree and you in particular, with being the front line and having played and seeing these players, knowing them personally, and then being part of the club system and, and, and specifically on the academy level, mm -hmm. um, do you see that as the more favorable path moving forward into the future where the players are more immersed in the game, you know, to a degree year round? Uh, do you see more of the status quo? Do you, where, you know, is, I know it's a loaded question, but we yeah. got we to start at something. No, we do. Right. No, for sure. I think that I do. I believe that kids playing right now, GA, ECNL, that is probably their best chance for success in terms of, and I say success, in getting noticed by the national team. We have YNT scouts all the time at events that are there that are asking, okay, what's this? And one of the questions that they ask is, what does this player's environment look like? Like, are they truly in an environment that's helping foster and grow them? They could be athletic. They could they could they could be a good soccer player, but are they learning the game? Now that's that that so that was part of my question for you is, yeah. and I don't want to be to digress, but I've always I wondered and talked about like people are glorifying, and I remember the '99ers, woohoo! Yeah. Like I loved it. Brady Chastain, yeah. Julie Pony, um, Michelle Akers was the very first person I ever knew mm -hmm. of as a, a young one growing up, and you look to the I don't think they're unnamed but Carly Lloyd and before she she aged out like in their prime when they were you know beating teams 13 scoring from the half line mm -hmm. were have our memories fantasized them at being better technically than they really were and I'm not saying that they weren't don't people get mad at me nobody this is the me. this is the Jordan debate this is, versus or, Cham Wilt Chamberlain or, right? <laughs> yeah or I would argue that youth players come up now are gonna going to be more technically sound because yeah. training's yeah. just better mm -hmm. or were they just so they're still really good soccer players really strong really athletic and worked their asses off they did they knew how to work their asses off yeah are we fantasizing them as being better technically than they were definitely the latter there yes I I agree I I think that. That is the case, and, it, and the re it took the rest of the world catching up to that. Now that they've caught up physically, uh, you know, we found our athletes. We, we found some athletes. We taught them how to play some soccer. Taught them how to play some <laughs> soccer, and now I feel like it really is a little bit more of an even playing field. We look at it, and it's like, okay, well, yeah, the U.S. is not dominating, but they're not. They're not out. They're not. They're not at the bottom of the world or anything right. like you know. So it, it, it's a lot of cause for concern because they're just not getting the results that they used to get, but it doesn't mean that they're down and out. It doesn't yeah. mean like, but yes, I think to, to go back to it, I, I do think that when you look back on it, when I look back on it, even Canada's best teams that never really found a lot of success, never, never meddled until recently of the bronze, and then now the, uh, the gold for Canada. Um, a lot of those players, I think about, it, I was in camp. I mean, Christine Sinclair is the greatest of all time. She missed a PK too. She did. And I love her as well. She did. And she's 40 <laughs> years old saying. and it blows my mind that she is. But I tell you what, I love her. I, my very first camp that I went into with the full senior team, that woman puts food on her plate and it's perfect. She ties her shoelaces and it's perfect. She did uh -huh. everything and she was excellent and excellence was a part of who she was. And so that that's why I think she's been able to do it for this long at such a high level. Um, 
But I look back on it, I'm like, nothing she did was flashy. Nothing was super special. But she had the mentality of a warrior, and, and she was clinical. Like, she, she was clinical for so long, and that was it. So, yeah. I look, and th- thinking about those 99ers, like, it, no, I don't think that it was anything beyond. I don't think the X's and O's yeah. were just that much better than anybody else's. I think they were just faster, stronger, and and mental warriors. Yeah, yeah, and, and physical warriors, exactly. too. Um, yeah. When you look back, I mean, just to be fair, Ruth Harker was also on a recent interview, and, and she, from 1985, right before mm-hmm. there was really the U.S. women's national team as we know it, not even a World Cup around because yeah. it wasn't until 1991. You know, we won the first one, but we didn't win them all. Yeah. Um, Norway has won. Germany has won a couple times. Japan was a nemesis mm-hmm. for a bit. So, I mean, I think some recent memories uh, trick some of the young younger generations to think, like, it's always been the U.S. when that women. No, it hasn't. Mm-hmm. And they had to fight. Yeah. Even the 99ers went to PKs mm-hmm. and had to fight for that. Yeah. So, so yeah. So how do you see... Uh, the women's side moving forward, knowing that we are a nation that is in love with our uh, backyard communities, our local high schools, et cetera, in St. Louis is in particular. Particularly uh, St. Louis. Yeah. yeah. There's a little bit of love affair with the high school days. Oh, um, yeah. Justifiably so, because the successes are really unparalleled. Uh, you know, outside of St. Louis, only New Jersey really did what we have done over 50, 60, 70 years in that realm. So my question to you is this, you know, from your position in, in your eyeballs at this point, um, do you see uh, a need for high schools to either adjust and participate more, integrate more, or maybe, you know, the the clubs need to work better with the high schools, et cetera? Or do you think there needs to be a little bit of a brain-body separation where you take the true one to three percenters and isolate them into more of a, uh, you know, an an isolated environment that is just soccer immersive. Yeah. I mean, again, I don't want to get anybody too upset here, but soccer dad pod does it all the time, by the way. Well, that's our culture. High school school (laughs) soccer. I had never experienced anything like it until I moved to St. Louis and understanding the history of it. No, tell me more. Like, I'm interested in knowing what that means. I mean, just the question, well, where did you go to high school? Oh, yeah. That's like (laughs) so St. Louis. I'm surprised sorry. it's taken us uh, <laughs> 45 minutes to ask you that. <laughs> right. So St. Louis. Um, well, I mean, my boyfriend went to Pattonville, so that's like it's a big deal for uh, him. There you go. He's very proud of that. Um, but but I feel like your status almost is what high school you went to. And then for, I think, parents looking down on their kids, it's like, well, they got to play high school soccer. They have to carry on my legacy. or the, you know, right. There is a lot of that. Right. And so that's where it kind of blows my mind because I'm like, okay, but your kid's telling me that they want to they be on a national team. They want to they develop. They want to grow. They don't need high school soccer. And I, it's not to say that we shouldn't have high school soccer. High school, everybody has its, their place. And I think high school soccer has its place. However, I don't know that you necessarily, if you have kids and players that have desires and dreams of playing at the highest level, it's almost a waste of time to play high school soccer. So, so let me ask you this then. Do you think that, um, you know, when you look at the, the, the goals or the targets, you know, with, on the women's side in particular, you have, look, at the top of the pile, there can only be 25 national team players, right? Mm-hmm. So that's that's the pinnacle. And then below that, now we have the NWSL that's mm-hmm. starting to, uh, you know, sink its roots a little bit deeper. Mm-hmm. It seems to be a little bit more financially stable than previous leagues, et cetera. There's a pathway there for mm-hmm. that to grow. So opportunities are going to expand. But then below that, you also have college, D1, D2, et cetera. That's where I was just about to go, is I have right. a lot of thoughts and questions about if – 
if this gets to this point, I know there's been a lot of discussion about it before, but extending the college soccer season, you got to think as well, they can, they condense so much into such a short amount of time right. with lots of injuries, lots of everything. It starts in August and it's done in December. Whereas those other leagues, depending around, on how far you go, depending on how far you go. Exactly. That's, you want to be done cup. in December. You want to be done. Right. You want to be in that that's college right. cup. That's right. Now, if that's not the, just compare it now to those other leagues. If you even go to the German second division, like go to any second division, which if you if you can call the NWSL our first division, okay. realistically, I know that obviously their amateurs are not being paid, but you could, you could call the NCAA maybe our second division. Okay. That's obviously not professional, but the season is so short. Yes. Getting our players, and this is part of the pathway system, playing all year round is another factor in terms of the embedding that soccer into our culture. If they're just, if it's just that soccer season and the spring is training development, but you're not, you only get to play four games. Really? It's not a lot of we soccer We didn't even games. play, when I, I graduated yeah. Linda in 96, and so you would go, just like you said, yeah. hope to get to December. Right. Um, and condensed, tons of training, and then eventually you get ton, games and tons of training. Right. And then you were done. And maybe, you know, you were supposed to go to the weight room and you were supposed to go on right. runs and there may be a few games thrown together. That was it exactly. in 96. And so then, it's the same, you're telling me. Well, yeah. And so now your huh. top programs, it is a little bit more year round because in the spring they're, they're playing their games. Spring and then season. in the summer you come back early and you do summer workouts. And yeah. that's like, you know, coaches will say it's optional, but like we all know what that no. means. It's, it's, <laughs> it's you know, optional if you don't want to play. Ex you know, exactly. <laughs> and so, you know, you have that conversation in the end of the spring, where's your fitness at? Okay, well, you need to spend six weeks taking classes and training. But is it really, like, are you really immersed in it? No, it's just you're going to your summer workout, you're going to hang out. Like, but I think if we have, again, from those younger players and talk about what, everyone else around the world is doing they're in year-round environments now i'm not saying it's every single day for three 365 but it's it's an it's 10 months of the year where you are immersed in the culture of a, a, a team setting you are playing games you are getting those experiences that's what they're doing everywhere else whereas here if you look at obviously just and you'll see it from level to level so like in i think it's d2 d3 you don't get you get one game in the spring one competitive game that you really? can play in the spring. spring. Yeah. Okay. So not it's sure not, what that's so supposed to like accomplish. Condense everything in from August to December, and then you have one game in the spring, and then summers are off. So how are you supposed to find some fluidity in in their development? At that point, it's almost like, oh, we're halfway out the door, or this was just my means to get some education and paid for, and and, and it's okay. But like I said, everybody's got to have their place. High school soccer has its place. Yeah. But if your goals are not aligned with wanting to be at the top or wanting to get to the next level then you're so what do you say to those high school coaches that have had uh multiple state championship wins and all that stuff and they say we've provided pathway historically there's no reason we can't continue to provide that where do you go with that and just to add to that yeah. a little, little harder even is it's it, it from their perspective and and i i admit to it, feeling both perspectives from mm -hmm. time to time that you know, to play for your school is so important. You're mm -hmm. in school every day with these fellow teammates mm -hmm. and, you know, to not be a part of that and not be at a pep rally right. as part of the team that they're missing out of a piece of that. Yeah. And, and they, would sure. be. they would for be. For sure. 
But uh, Crystal Dunn also said, when you get to the higher level that you get to, the more sacrifices you have to make. Mm. And that was something that I knew and learned from a very young age. Like even when you I you knew that when you were young, oh, when you were going to super knew that. Knew that. Like I was like, hey, like FOMO. What is FOMO? I don't care. I don't. Yeah. I'll go to bed at nine <laughs> o'clock and not be stressed about what my friends are talking about online at ten, eleven o'clock. Like, that was never a thing for me. So honestly, now even I work with kids, and so you know they're on their phones, they're ticky talking, they're snappy right. chatting, and I'm just like. Put the phone down. Focus, right. focus on something else. Like right. let's let's shift gears here. And it's uh, there's so many distractions. And I want to say too, for many of the people that are my age, and yeah. you're a little younger than me, but still even people our age too can can we remember times that there's t-shirts out, there's fun memes out that are like, right. sorry, can't got soccer practice right. or got baseball practice or got. Right. But it's not that we haven't <clears throat> had that. Correct. It's just the yeah. way we maybe did mm-hmm. it. My chosen way was to play for five teams. I played three high school sports mm-hmm. and on two select team so in a way I was immersed just in sport so I would argue that many of us it might feel weird or sound weird what they could be doing over in Europe but in some ways we've already done it in a way if you've been a competitive athlete and all you know is athletics you probably just done it's just maybe a shift on what you do, mm-hmm. how the path you choose to to have doesn't mean it's good bad or otherwise uh but one may get you somewhere and yeah. the other may not quite as much for sure may, maybe to, not anymore yeah, yeah. Well, to go back to your question sorry about just the sure. high school if you're a high school coach I'd say yeah okay you can win state champions multiple of them but after that what's next for these players you have them for those four years very similar to like in the college setting but what's after that if they're winning a state championship playing against and I say this to say in that state people who are all of the same like I, I just talk think about the the level level of play some high school soccer teams are not bad. I've gone out, I've watched some high school sites, not terrible, but then some are not great. Right. And you'll have two or three players that know what they're doing, and then you'll have a, an entire team of others who are CYC, recreational. Which, again, there's nothing wrong right. with that, but everybody has their place. But but for a scout, for, from a scouting perspective, because this is what well, we Well, you hear. brought that up earlier. I thought that was a good point. Yeah, you know, if, I, if, if, if there's a college scout that is asked to come out to see a player... Uh, it's really hard to see value in a game in which what you like what you just described, right. when the kid clear, clearly has uh, skills or or is well above average and probably has a pathway. But when they're playing against pylons, exactly, it's the, really easy the, to look the, good. <laughs> it's it's really hard to evaluate talent whenever the competition itself exactly is tough. And, you know, and one of the arguments is like uh, from some high school coaches about the expansion of academy on the boys' side, and I'm sure it's going to have on the girls' side eventually, it already is really, is, well, you know, what are we really defining as 1%, you know, and this is just a money grab. We're just adding teams. But for those teams that are, you know, maybe they're the third best out of three in a marketplace, they are still playing in a league in which every single game is measurably more competitive than what they would be playing in, you know, uh, recreation, and not recreationally, competitively in high school. Yeah. So, and here's another thing I'm just thinking about, you know, looking at my stats here mm-hmm. on the women's side, because I think the women's program from a youth perspective, it, it can, you have a crystal ball in a, in a sense in that you guys can prepare a little bit better because when you look at pathway, there's, there's an existing amount of collegiate programs, D1, 2, 3, and AIA, right? Uh, but then you have, you jump all the way up to NWSL where there's only 12 teams. Mm-hmm. Right. And then there's a handful of opportunities in Europe, which creates a whole other 
uh, issue from uh, passports and, and work visas, et cetera. Compare that to the men's side right now where everybody's like, well, what's the 1%? What's the real pathway? Well, there's USL, there's USL2, there's MLS, MLS Next Pro. There's you know, yes. literally hundreds of teams and options that are quote pro path, not to mention or for, forget to include mm-hmm. division one programs, division two programs. So I think you have this, this massing, this volume of young women that are falling in love with the game with, because of everything that really started, let's just use 99 as that's the year that a lot of them are like, they've, they've seen, right. there's a lot of YouTube clips of the 99 team and beyond. So do you see this like, momentum uh having a clear path or do you think there's going to be speed bumps in trying to get over our own egos you know through this process well i think you just spoke to it like it's almost like a funnel right it's like this big funnel so the bottom of the funnel where the volume is is youth which is great like uh, there weren't as many teams when i was younger to play on now you can find a team everywhere you look you can turn around find a club find a team and that's awesome i love the opportunity But the funnel gets really a lot smaller, I think, for women as they grow. There's just not as many places to go, um, which means the opportunities are less. um, The funding is less. Just the ability to grow is less. So I just wonder if it's that that funnel in a way. We got that that spout of the little spout of the funnel needs to get wider. Yeah. Um, At the top. To, to comment on that as well, there is so there's this new women's league that they've got coming out. So I think that's supposed to help um, in terms of just providing more opportunities. There's the um, what is it? WPSL. The WPSL. Summer league. Yeah. And that's more so for the college kids that are just they're, they're done with their season. They somewhere to keep them busy during the summer again. Right. Yeah, which was um, actually more than <clears throat> again. Go back to '96 and there was a drop off. There was a zero if you were. That was it. It was it until you yeah. turned 30 and then you could play some more stuff. So right. it's, I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad that there's stuff there. Yeah. I mean, I I played WPSL like, two summers ago with Fire and Ice and it was. Just such a treat. Um, but it was, no, honestly, it was I so fun. I remember you fun, being very I, sore. Oh, my God. I was in an ice bath every day. It was rough. It's like, there's a reason I stopped playing. Um, but it was so much fun. And, like, made me fall in love with the game again. Honestly, right. playing a 90-minute game, I was like, Lindsay, I can't do this. Lindsay but, Kennedy Eversmeyer, right, yes. was your coach. Oh, yeah. man, yeah. what a gal. Um, she's awesome. But, yeah, she's like, You're, you'll be fine playing Kansas City uh, Currents Reserves. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to die. It's like center back. I can play center back but I can't play anything else. It's too much running. Um, but no, I, I just going back to it all, I, I think that the opportunities that these kids are going to have um, moving forward, we, we just have to provide more of them. Canada is, they've, I believe they've got approval for this. Canada now has a league is that's going to be coming in 2024. And so a lot of Christine Sinclair in a post-game interview exiting the World Cup, she said, I hope this is a wake-up call to our federation. She says, yes, we as players will take responsibility for our performances, so on and so forth. But she she went on to say, like, this should be a wake-up call to our federation. This is why we needed a league, because they've been fighting for a long time to get a professional league in Canada on the women's side, which they haven't had. All of their players play elsewhere. All of our top players either play in England, in the NWSL, uh, Germany, uh, Julia Grosso plays in the Italian league. And again, all of these leagues from around the world, they have them. The NWSL, 12 teams. There are other leagues, first division, second division, third division. Fourth. And you're talking about teams that you can earn money. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I, it brings me back to Abby Wambach yeah. um, winning, what's that, SB, what is she, trophy, it's a very prestigious, the Carly SB. Lloyd's won it. Is, the um, or the Ballon d'Or. Maybe it's sad, but, but she, I remember she has this little clip that's out there that, 
she's standing on and there's a couple of other, you know, they're, I think they're both males um, and they're going on to the ending their careers and figure out how they're going to invest their money. And she's like, I got to figure out what job I'm going to pick up to pay my mortgage now that I'm not right. playing um, because the money worth yeah. the, the, the ability to earn money yeah. um, and keep playing isn't, isn't there still yeah. uh, no, not, that, not like it should be. That part's tough. And like, yes, I say yes, those leagues you get paid it's not much you know yeah, higher you levels you'll you'll get some some okay some bigger contracts okay. but you're, I mean your average player even in the NWCL is not making more than forty thousand dollars fifty thousand dollars um so yeah it's enough to make a little bit of a living but when you think about starting a family having kids mm-hmm. health care taking care of yourself taking care of your body that's a whole other yeah. investment topic that we can get into but um I think just the the opportunities that we just need more opportunities for young players. That's not, yeah. Does that come in NWSL growing or like like what JB brought up, other leagues also popping up? Well, I mean, financially speaking, it comes down to you got to put butts in seats, Mm -hmm. right? You got to sell tickets. Uh, It's going to come down to the corporate world because, you know, corporate America is as much to blame as any perception of uh, gender inequity on the field uh, through federations you know, blame Bank of America because they don't spend the same amount of money on, you know, women's games and men's games. So there's a lot of things that would need to... We could talk media coverage too. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, media coverage because, again, I mean, that that all comes down to, you know, corporate America tends to... uh, It's supply and demand in their eyes. Right, wrong, indifferent, that's what's happening. But I think NWSL and, and frankly, like documentaries like the one with... uh, uh, the LA team. Oh my God, who's the Natalie Portman? And oh, Angel City. Her, yeah, yeah. So bringing, getting people like that involved is critical because that becomes pop culture, mm-hmm. becomes more mainstream, and you're going to bring people in. It's kind of like uh, hybrids of the Messi effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the women's game needs more of that because you can only have so many 99 moments, um, you know, to 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 shine a light. Um, I have a specific question for parents out there listening that have uh, a little one that has stars in their eyes, and mm-hmm. you as a coach, you as a, uh, a, a high-level developer, um, and this is a common question. This is a question we ask all the time on, on, on the dad pod side, and that is you as a coach, when you go out and you get a new group of girls, uh, say it's you U10, U11, or maybe even a little bit younger, and they start playing, and all of a sudden one of them starts doing X, Y, and Z. You know, and in your head, it's like, ah, oh, damn, she's got it. What is that? What is that in your in your world when you look at these young players and you're looking for something special? What are some of the characteristics that you look for that are either soccer based mm-hmm. or just athletic based or maybe it's, you know, the character? Yeah. What do you like to see in young players that gets you excited? That is a true potential yeah. one percenter. Oh, that's a tough question. I think especially for like the really young ones, if they can have a grasp on some type of technical like ability, ability to have control over the ball at their feet. Because athleticism comes, you can, I don't want to say you can teach athleticism, we can make you a little bit quicker, we can make you a little bit stronger, mm-hmm. um, but if you're naturally just gifted with those, that's that's a great place to start. But if you can have control with the ball at your feet, if you can have, at, at, at a really young age, in my eyes, that you already have a really good base, a really good foundation. Now, can you do it under pressure? Now, that's where like things get. My biggest thing is it's one thing to be able to do, um, to be 
to stand out as, as a kid. It's one thing to stand out, but if you are dribbling through kids who are standing there, pylons, literally, if, you, if, you, if I may, then yeah, okay, you're going you're gonna to look like the next best thing since sliced bread. Um, but if a kid has a little bit of something like that, it's like it's hard to say and project and say, okay, you're going to be the next Messi. You're going to be the next, you know, Mia Hamm, next Marta. But if if they just have a little bit of something, it, it's hard at that young age. But I think I think ball control. I think the technical side of things. I think that how they see the field beyond the ball at their feet. If they can pick their head up, little, little things like that. I think that's that's a big piece. Cool. I think something else you can you look for. I mean, uh, for me on the mindset part of things, I've coached soccer as well. But when I look, is the player coachable? Can they recover from failure? Do I have a player who who absolutely and they will sometimes. You it, it will come even when they're six seven years old. I have a seven year old who who absolutely struggles with failure, and so we we're working on that that understanding that that's part of it. But mm-hmm. I think even at uh, one of the parent meetings recently for uh, the girls' academy, they were talking about some of these girls are getting old enough to. Uh, start to get looked at by colleges and then many right. times coaches are getting phone calls and you get, I'm sure where you get reference calls yep. and, and it's not, it's, it's more than being on the ball too. It's more than, can you play? But it was said last night by a coach that I've been called and been told by a college coach, I will take a little bit of a lesser mm-hmm. when it comes mm-hmm. to skill or athleticism and, and be able to sure, is this person a good fit for my culture, mm-hmm. for my environment? Are their parents a problem? Mm-hmm. Is is this something I want to do? You know, <laughs> and, and literally, like I'm willing to take a little bit less on the ball, off the ball, Rest athleticism, and teach and make sure we're still developing that, even at the college level, right. to make sure that I'm not having a, a jerk face on the field and I'm not getting called by jerk face parents. And and, and yeah. I think that's part of it. We didn't. I know that we, my age group, that I did have to play with some 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 jackasses who you did because they were good. And their parents could be jerks because their kid was good. But yeah. now you got so many players, you don't have to deal with, with the jerks anymore. You well, can literally go elsewhere. For well, them. I think, too, at the highest levels, when you do come across players um, that have that, uh, quote, jerk tendencies, they also tend to be the most competitive individuals in said group, whether it's soccer or checkers, or who gets the last piece, you know. Piece of pizza. There's a certain amount of, like, uh, you know, that that character, that competitiveness, that bulldog attitude that goes along with that so but I think you can still be a good teammate like I think totally. you can be um like like being competitive uh, doesn't I used to when I would play later with women and we played women's teams and and soccer and you'd be like oh this we're playing that team is so competitive and I would get on them like don't use competitive as an epithet like mm-hmm. competitive doesn't mean you're a jackass you can I've seen some really recreational teams be a bunch of jerks out there and you can't even do the sport yeah and I and I've seen really really competitive been on the pitch with them or against them and they're the coolest people ever right you can um, be a competitor be, and not be a jackass yeah yeah i mean it, it, i think you're right jb it does kind of sometimes tend to go hand in because there's this really big desire to win um we can talk that's another episode you can talk about home and culture and the car rides and and you know what breeds all that kind of thing well. but i think yeah <laughs> for sure that that there's a piece of that um so i, I think you're, you're right to look at stuff on the ball and then on on my piece looking off where some of these players struggle, it's it's on the the mindset portion or the failures or dealing with the fact that you know it's not a a straight line up. It's it's dips and curves and how you deal with that either on that game right now or later in the season because you weren't starting and now you now you right. maybe you can be. 
kind yeah. of a deal. No, I mean, for sure, Jen, you made a fantastic point just about the coachability. If yeah. a kid can bounce back from the failure, if they have that right mentality, that's, that's really probably it at a young age. But yeah. Well, there's a million other directions we can go, <laughs> but uh, I know there's some soccer moms that are sitting in their car right now like, I, I, I got to go inside the house. I can't keep listening. <laughs> <laughs> these, these jerk kids inside are Damn, messing it all up. <laughs> they're messing up my house. Um, thank you both. Bree, thank you for joining us. Thank you um, so much for having me. Best my first guest ever. <laughs> Thanks, Bree. Thank you. Yeah, you killed it. Uh, we'll definitely be in touch. We'll keep an eye out, see how things are going. Um, and then uh, Miss Jen. Uh, MTD, not doctor, right? Yeah. <laughs> and not Seuss either. It's not yeah. Dr. Seuss. <laughs> well, that was fun. I really look forward to more of these conversations. I know that uh, you've presented a long list of local names that I think are going to be hammers. Flipping I'm hammers. I'm so excited. Some of these say. voices don't even know because I haven't even asked them yet. Oh, they'll, they'll know. They'll know <laughs> soon enough. Uh, thank you both for joining us. I think, it, I think it's that time we got to roll out of here. Uh, Jen, I will see you next time. All right. Best of luck with the rest of the season. Appreciate it. All right.